Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. I always look forward to coming and being here with you. I uh, feel like God has given me words for you, and I mean literally words for you, because I feel like I had three messages on my heart. I think all could have been applicable, and my biggest problem was figuring out which one (laughs) for this morning. So I want to start. I I figured out which way I'm going to go this morning, and uh, I'm going to have to rush over some things and not develop things as much as I'd like, but I want you to get the, the mainly the big picture mainly the process. And when I talk about steps in a process, it's not like mechanical steps. It's just noting in the process significant moments in that process that can be life learning points for us. And so there'll be a six in this particular message. Years ago in Toronto, I uh, spoke on this. And the first time I ever preached on it, I called it the making of a mighty warrior. And in that meeting, uh, Heidi Baker was there. It was the second time that God really whacked her really bad and put her up on her top of her head and threw her down and everything. And my executive vice president was actually there way back in the back. I had never met him yet. God knocked him down, and he was really touched. It was just a, a time of an outpouring. Then later, I, I changed the title to The Keys to Becoming Who God Says You Are. And uh, that's, 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 you know more applicable to more people that don't feel like they're going to be an apostolic leader. And then I finally, uh, one time I preached it and I called it How to Walk Out Your Prophetic Destiny. Well, whatever one of those titles makes sense to you, you, you take the one you want. Write your own ending to this thing and make it more applicable to you. But we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 6, story of Gideon, chapter 6, verse 1, through chapter 8, verse 23. And uh, we want to start with uh, the first step begins, as most times it does, in God's call. And God's call and promise really go together. His call contains His promise. What He calls you to do is a promise you'll be able to do it. In the call is the promise. Now, the context of the call often is not the best times of life. Many people receive the call of their life not on a mountaintop, but in the valley of brokenness. Many people, it's in the context and when things are going really bad, we become desperate and God gets our attention. And and, and sometimes God chooses people who are unlikely to be used as his leaders. Often in the Bible, he chooses the smaller, the weaker, the younger, someone who has... uh, uh, a bad lineage, you know, people are always today in the, looking at the, uh, uh, the, some people who are always looking at what's wrong in every ministry, they're looking at the roots, they're seeing, is there anything in that person's spiritual lineage of somebody that wasn't good? You know, they ought to look at Luke and the lineage of Jesus and see that there's uh, three women of ill repute in that lineage and they're purposely included in it. To reveal the grace of God and how he can cover sin. So let's get uh, started. First of all, they're in the context of the cycles of judges is the people sin. They come under oppression. They cry out. God sends a deliverer. 
And we're, we're in that cycle where they are in a cycle of sin and they're overcome, they're defeated, and there's such language as oppression. They had lost their freedom. There, there's great economic consequences to their sin. Everything they have is being taken away from them by the Midianites. And that leads them to pray and, and to call out to God, and God responds. And in God's response, He sends them a prophet. And the prophet explains what's wrong. The, the prophet says, here's your problem. And when we look at it, we, we see that the, he says to them, the prophet said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. That's the problem. They hadn't listened to God. He's given them, he's reminding them, this is all I've done for you. In the midst of your defeat, remember the victories of the past. In the midst of where you feel like you're so weak and broken, remember that I made you a mighty nation and I brought you in here. And by my mighty hand, I gave you a land that was not your land. I gave you cities that you didn't build. I gave you vineyards that you didn't plant. I have been your source, but you have forgotten me and you have not obeyed me because the thing I told you is watch out and don't worship the gods of this land. And you have not listened to me. And this is uh, what you've done. Now, it's really interesting to know that the problem is, the reason why they're, they're having this problem is the syncretistic worship of trying to worship God, but also worshiping the gods of the land, which is supposed to, in their understanding, make the land more fertile as an agrarian uh, society. You have not listened to me. And their lack of listening to them is part of the problem. Now, when uh, uh, the, the, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah, and that belonged to Joash. And, and, and Gideon is in that area, and he's hiding in the, the wine press. You know the story. Many of you may not know the story, but most of you will. But anyway, the point I wanted to get to was Gideon asked them, God a question. And he says in, in verse 13, uh, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? So they're living in a context the miracles have ended. They're living in a context the supernatural aspect of the presence of God is not with them, but it had been with them. When the presence of God and the miracles and the healings are not present, and they were in the past, it's not that God that's moved, it's we have moved. It's not a problem on God's part, it's a problem on our part. And in this day of hyper grace and uh, with no emphasis on confession of sin. And in this uh, abusive heresy of hyper grace that says, it, 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 you should, it, even if you confess sin, it means you don't really have faith in Jesus as your forgive, Savior. The Bible from one end, one cover to the other cover is a Bible that calls us to repentance. It's a Bible that calls us to forsake those things that stand between us and God. It's a Bible that not only talks about justification, but talks about sanctification. It's not only about imputed righteousness, it's imparted righteousness. It's a God that wants us to live in victory, not defeat. And when we forget that, we'll make shipwreck of our faith. And some of the very people who have been teaching this message are no longer working, walking with God today. And one of my, my son-in-law is a friend of one of them. And, and uh, that young man who, who's been teaching per, uh, this, this uh, hyper-grace message, he's not even walking with the Lord anymore. 
And many of the ones who have been teaching it, they've gone on to universalism and just saying, hey, it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to heaven and nobody's going to hell. That's where it's ended for many people. There's a lot, there's a lot of uh, oppression and weakness and defeat. That's our fault because we have departed from the faith and have created a new Gnostic gospel that has forgotten the part about repentance and confession of sin. So, one of the things that's interesting, um, in this call, the, the angel of the Lord, and then many people believe the angel of the Lord is always a reference to the pre, uh, uh, theophany, the pre-incarnate Son of God. That was Jesus himself as the angel of the Lord. Many people believe that. Many scholars believe that as be before his incarnation. It's still the second Son of the Trinity, or Son of God of the Trinity. And uh, this says, came to him, and the angel uh, appeared to Gideon, and he said, the Lord is with you mighty warrior this is the call the Lord is with you mighty warrior now is it because he's had all these wonderful experiences with God absolutely not I don't think he'd had any this is first one <laughs> is it because he's walking in holiness no it's not is it because uh, everybody in the, the elders have been looking that's the next leader we're going to raise up no it's not it's because God sovereignly chose to pick him with all of his faults and saw in him what he didn't see in himself. We need to have the eyes of God because anybody can see what's wrong with somebody, but it takes the prophet eyes to see what's potential in them and what God can do through them and God's heart and knowledge of what he would want to do. So it's, don't think you're a prophet because you can put this is going to, this, this bad thing's going to God. God's going to get you for that. Think of the prophetic when you really see something. How you see the potential of, of what God, you see the heart, you see past the hurt, you see the ability that's there. But the call is the Lord is with you, and he calls you a mighty warrior. And he, he must say, you know who you're looking at, the wrong person. And then in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, because he's complained. You know, Gideon, uh, he, he just can't believe this is really happening. And, and, and the Lord says to him, turned to him and said, verse 14, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Here it comes again. Am I not with you? Am I not sending you? Here is the call. The promise is in the call. The promise is this is what God said he wants to do. When we forget our destiny, our call, our mandate from heaven as an individual or as a church or movement, when we forget that, we forget where our power and our assurance is rooted in. And when we start looking away from him and to ourselves, we can become insecure. We can see all, all this. I don't see how this is possible. If it was possible to do in the natural, it wouldn't take any faith. If it was possible to do in the natural, some of the uh, calls and visions and dreams and, 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 and destinies that God may have on you as an individual or upon this local congregation, do not limit what God can do through you when you are consecrated and when you are hearing Him and obeying Him and believing Him. So there is uh, this wonderful promise uh, from God that has been given. And Gideon... Um, says in verse 17, right after he had had this, uh, this word, and, and then he says again, the Lord answered, I will be with you, 
and you will, he didn't say might, strike down all the Midianites together. Now, that's an, another time, like a short period of time. That's the second time, plus he's called him. And he called him. He said that to him right after he said, well, I'm the least. I'm a runt. And I'm from the smallest tribe. I mean, you've got the wrong guy. This, we don't have the resources. I have no military experience at all. I'm hiding in a, uh, a wine press. I don't even know how to use a sword probably. I, 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 what are, God, it can't be me. And God just says, hey, <laughs> I will be with you. And you will. You will strike down all the many nights together. That's God's promise. Now, then in light of that, Gideon basically says, give me a sign. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, am I, am I going schizophrenic? Am I, become, am I having a bipolar delusional moment here? Is this my imagination? Is this God? Is this, what is going on? Is basically, he's, he's confused. And so Gideon said, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. A lot of people say we shouldn't ask for signs anymore. I think God understands human beings are human beings. And sometimes some of us need signs. And I don't think it's lack of faith to ask for a sign. I actually think, as we look to this, that we can say that often God will build faith by giving signs. If you can have the eyes to see what he's doing and the ears to hear what he's saying. And to recognize that is not a coincidence, that is a provident. I don't even know if that's a real word or not. I think it might be. But a coincidence, it comes from coincidence. Well, we also have a word called providence. Coincident, it's an accident. It just happened. Providence, God is it in the details of what's happening. So in the, in the coincident, well, sometimes we have providence and uh, there are signs. Uh, I know that in my life that there were these signs that I asked for when I was at the uh, uh, midnight at the First General Baptist Church in McLeansboro, midnight in October, right before I was called to preach a few days before, I'm asking one of the, th I asked for three different signs, but one of them was, uh, Lord, show me a sign. I'd been reading Exodus and reading about the burning bush. I'd been reading about that. And I went, as midnight, wind's blowing, I went to look out the window, and uh, I went through the window and looked, and there's this tree on fire. And I, it's been raining, it's midnight, and the wind's blowing, and there's trees on fire. And I Go set my people free. And that's actually what I'm thinking. And I, I opened the door and said, what? I mean, kind of like, you got to be kidding. And I start walking toward it and I see, well, uh, uh, right in parallel, two blocks over, somebody's burning trash and that tree's in this block, trash cans in that block. It's exactly lined up. And I said, coincident. Somebody's burning trash on a windy night right after it just rained. That's when you know you're looking at it in the natural. But it didn't take long that I really realized, no, that wasn't coincident. That was provident. That was provident. When I asked the Lord for another sign, am I really called to preach? I need to know. Uh, my friend had been hurt in an accident, been in my accident, and then he got totaled his own car. And he wouldn't even go to church. And I said, Lord, if I'm really called to preach, I want you to save him. I can't even get him to come to the building. I want you to save him. And the next day he totaled his car, came to church that night, and was the first one to hit the altar. And I, the enemy inside, the flesh says, coincident. But in the heart, begins to bubble up. 
No, provident. God is in, he, he knows what we need. And depending upon the difficulty you're going to be facing, sometimes he ups the, what you see. And the last one for me back in 1970 was the youth leader had a heart attack and was partially paralyzed, couldn't hardly move his right hand. I said, God, went home that night and said, God, if I'm really called to preach, heal him. Let him play the piano tomorrow night without pain. I went by a check on him. Next day, he barely moved his hand. Saw him in the church. He's sitting back there. I said, let me see you move your hand. It's hard, stiff. It's from like partial stroke. I said, all right, it wasn't God. Just coincident. I'm standing there looking at all the people come in, the Jesus movement. I'm watching as they're coming in. Oh, here's a bunch of people coming. They've been on drugs. They've been, and they're getting straight when they just sit in the back row. And all of a sudden, I hear the piano. And he had a style to play. And I turn around, and there he is, sitting on the piano. He's playing. And I said, he's playing one hand. And it's just it's too good for that. And a place full of people sitting in the floor. There's no seats at all except right in front of me. There's a seat left. He gets up and sits right in front of me. I peck him on the shoulder. He turns around. I said, let me see you move your hand. He'll... I said, I got a question. Does it hurt? No. I have another question. Why did you play the piano tonight? He said, I was sitting back there, and all of a sudden, this strong impression came. If you go try to play the piano, I'll heal you. And the moment my hands hit the keys, I was healed. I, that provident, that's not a coincidence. That is a provident, and I needed it. And I stood up, and I, I just, I, I stood up right then, and after he said that, and, 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 and the pastor, Brother Bill, looked up, and he said, have you got Randy? And I said, yes, I just want to announce God's calling me to preach. And there's a big old railroad rock worker named Bob uh, Brockett, deep voices, Brother Andre, we know you've been praying, we know you've been called to preach for a long time these last few weeks. Every time you testify, you preach. We just been waiting on you to announce it. So there's the confirmation also that comes in. I know what it's like when, when God comes and helps us in our weakness and when we don't feel like that we're able to do something, not only in the initial but calling, but in others. Now, oh, step one, I got to go. All right, step two, we'll go faster. Consecration and purity. In the call, if we're going to get to the other side. As a matter of fact, the night before I first met John Wimber, the first time I had a dream, you call it a dream, I call it a spiritual dream. I think it's one of the only one or two or three I've had in my whole life. And it literally was, I walked up in a place like this with a fence up here, and I'm standing down there, and there's a gatekeeper, and on the wall is written a, not a Ten Commandment, but a commandment, something God wants me to do. And when I look at it and I say yes, that gatekeeper opens the gate, and I came up. And when I came up to this level, now I could see what I couldn't see down here. There's another wall. There's another commandment, and the gatekeeper's moved up. And if I say yes to what he's saying now, that gate opens, and I get to come on up. And I, that dream, I, I went through four or five stages in that, and, and when it ended, I was going to see Wimber for the first time that morning. And it felt like the Lord says, if you will obey me, that gate will open. And you can come into greater things. It, 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 was, it wasn't like heaven and hell stuff. This was like opportunity to be used in my kingdom was dependent upon 
consecration. Will you do what I'm asking you to do? Will you say yes? And, that's, and so we see this in, in this story. So first of all, consecration starts in you and starts in your family. Gideon was an idol worshiping, syncretistic young man whose family had an Asherah pole and a Baal altar to these gods of the Amorites was in their backyard. Maybe they might have even been pretty high up in it because the idols are in their yard. These are big ones. And the Lord goes after. That's the first thing he goes after. I'm going to go after the idols in your life. I'm going to go after the idols that you've been raised in, you've been trained in, and your father has uh, uh, put that in, in, into you, and you've seen it in your family. It is in you. It is in your family, and it is in this nation right now, and that's where I'm going after first. I cannot use you until we get this dealt with. I cannot use you as the leader until you're willing to tear that down in your life. Now, he, was, he, he obeyed. It says he obeyed, but he also said he obeyed in fear. And with wisdom. So he did it at night because he's afraid. They knew, he knew that the people might rise up and try to kill him, which is exactly what happened. They rose up and are, they want to kill him. This is a capital offense because he's burnt, torn down the Asherah poles and then used the wood to, to kill one of the bulls and make an altar, a right kind of an altar to God. And, and he's torn down these idols. They want to kill him. His dad had the wisdom to say, hey, listen, if, if there really are gods behind those idols, let them deal with Gideon. We don't have to. It's kind of saved by the wisdom of his father in that situation, but he obeyed. Now, here's what we normally think. When we obey, it gets better. <laughs> I, I was preaching with Heidi Baker last week in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, there's several of us, um, and uh, as she was talking, I gave her this prophetic word. Do you want the nation of Mozambique? She's weeping. She's the most powerful experience she's ever had in her life, seven days a night. It had to be carried in, carried out. And do you want the nation of Mozambique? She's crying. Yes! And she was ready to quit. She's so exhausted and tired. And I said to her, God will give you, is going to give you the nation of Mozambique. You're going to see the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead be raised. And that's when the fire and the power hit her so powerfully. What most, most people don't know, they've heard that story. What they haven't heard is the next 18 months, it was the opposite that happened. For 18 months, first of all, she lost a million dollars of money that had been promised to them for the orphanage work they were going to do. And all she had to do to keep that million is quit talking about what God did to her in Toronto. That's all. That this church and this pastor, we don't like Toronto. They <laughs> didn't like me either. But if you'll stop talking about what happened there, you'll get to keep your million. So we can't stop talking about what God's done and what he did. So they lost a million dollars. They lost, their, they lost the, the buildings they had built. The government came in and confiscated them. Her health, she loses it. She gets MS. Her husband gets uh, cerebral malaria. Her daughter, Kristen, gets malaria three times. And she's praying for every blind person she meets, every deaf person she meets. Nobody's getting raised from the dead. Very few people are even getting healed. But none of these miracles are taking place and for 18 months. It's the opposite. It got worse. But she persevered by faith in the prophetic word that was backed up by God's power. 
It was the sign she needed. It was the sign that gave her the kind of faith that all hell could not rob her of. Because I asked her, could you have sustained your faith in the midst of everything that was going wrong? She said, if it hadn't have been for the power that backed up the word, I, don't, I couldn't have. God knows when we need a sign. God knows when we need to deal with stuff in our life. So as you're getting ready to step into an even greater glory and power and growth and significance, as we get closer, I believe that God will begin to say, I, I want to deal with this. I want to deal with this in your life. I want you to be able to hear better. I want you to be able to see better. I want you to be able to sense my presence better. And God's able to do it. So, next slide. Once, after the call and the promise and the next step, which was the consecration, moving toward purity, came a crisis. The crisis that also led to this time of prayer. So in verse 33, when we're looking at chapter 6 now, 33 through 40, is this what I call crisis and prayer place. In verse 33, this is right after he's obeyed. Then it says, I like this in the NIV. It starts out with the word now. He's just obeyed. He's cut down the Asher pole. He's made the altar. He's, he's killed his dad's bull. He's done exactly what God said. Now God bless me. But it says instead... Now all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. It gets worse. Now he doesn't have Midianites. He's got four nations coming against him. The oppression is going to be worse. The numbers of people, it's worse. It's worse than it was before. The devil doesn't lay down when you go to battle. When you begin to take on the enemy and come against his camp, there is a counterpunch. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The victory is ours. We are not to be the beaten down. But we win by our faith. And there is this issue. God knew before I use you, before you go in against all that's about to come to you, I got to do a little house cleaning and a little backyard cleaning in your situation. So I like this. Now all this problem's coming, but this is what's so great. Many of us want the then before the now. <laughs> Many of us say, fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me, God. Fill me, God. But we haven't cleaned out the backyard. We haven't obeyed. It's interesting to note when the filling came. Verse 34 starts with then. 33. Now all these people start coming. Then... The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. When did the Spirit of the Lord come upon him to be able to do this? When the enemy's coming against him, the Lord comes in. When the enemy comes in like the flood, the Lord raises up a standard. And so he blows and he summons the people together. And as they are uh, coming together, um, we have this. The, the, the basic result is obedience Resulted in a greater problem, more enemies, warfare, but it also brought, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And then, in this passage, there's an unusual strategy of God. Now, 
I don't have time to go into the, the sign of the fleece dry and the fleece wet. I don't, I, but I want to talk about the paring down. The God strategy was odd. God's strategy was, uh, you got, I forgot what it was over here, 120,000 uh, swordsmen that had fallen and 10,000 or 15,000 had left uh, and, and had ran. So you got at least 135,000 people coming against you. You, you got 135,000. That's a huge army. And so when they first start out, the odds are four to one. The odds are four to one. Then God pairs it down. And he says, if they're afraid, tell them to go home. Well, if you're going up to four to one odds, somebody would be afraid. And, and, and so they go home. He said, if you're scared, go home. Now we're down to 12 to one. Now, if they, if they drink water the wrong way out, of the, you know, they lick it like a dog or drink it out of their hands, that's going to make another, another division. And, and, and then we're, we're down to 12 to 1. And then there's even, he says, now you still have too many. And he pairs it down to 300. Now we're down to 416 to 1 odds. Now, this is where it gets real interesting. I'm not, I'm, I'm not just amazed at Gideon's faith. I'm more amazed of the men who followed Gideon who didn't have the angel of the Lord show up. Didn't have the angel of the Lord show up. And by the way, it's significant that he came to understand, he seen the Lord face to face in that offering that was a meal with unleavened bread. I think if you have eyes to see, you can see the significance because in America, the greatest revival, second greatest revival we ever had, the second great awakening, was born out of communion service. There's been, when, when Wesley was taking communion, three o'clock in the morning is when the Holy Spirit fell. There are these moments where God really wants to meet us in, in, with his presence and we need to be expectant of these times of visitation. And, 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 and so... The issue is, why would these guys follow him? I mean, Gideon is the one who has heard, I will deliver you. And that's where it's very important that your leader, Pastor Chad, your leaders, know we've heard God. And they can declare it with faith. It is the declaration of leaders who've been with God and who have heard God, seen what God, and knows what God wants to do, gives them an authority that encourages and empowers and causes faith in the followers around them to believe. And it's really interesting. You're believing and following with less of the personal, firsthand experience that the key leaders had. Now, I want to say something. Even though this is so supernatural, I want this is very important. There's a difference. There's two types of calls in Scripture. The Apostle Paul is blinded, knocked down, provident with Ananias, miracle, gets his eyes healed and gets filled with the Spirit. Jesus appears to him and gives and gets his revelation from Jesus about his gospel. Because you read chapter 12, chapter 11, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians about all his sufferings and what he did and ultimately martyrdom. He had a huge call 
and a huge challenge. But when we think we all have to have that kind of call to know whether or not we're going to work in the Sunday school or be an usher or serve the poor, the, we're, 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 not, we're, not, we're going beyond what Scripture has. Because Scripture has, yes, I had that type of thing, Chad, others, we have these things that we know are God and we talk about them. It gives us strength to go through our whole life. But then you have the Timothys and the Titus and you have others. And their call wasn't like that. Their call came from Paul when he said, I have need of you. And in Paul's apostolic teams that he took all over Europe and Asia, uh, in, uh, in Ephesus, uh, for example, he, they were fluid. It, it depended on who he needed at that assignment to go to this city. To, who do I want to go to that city? Who do I, and he would, out of the authority God had given him, the Lord would show him, even as Jesus prayed all night in the selecting of his 12, there is a sense where a second kind of call is just that natural, I have need of you because, and this is where sometimes the people who volunteer, wonderful, but sometimes people who are volunteering for something they're not the best at. And the person you really need, they're not, they won't put themselves forward. They're waiting, and there's a great thing about empowering. So those of you who are in leadership, look to the people that God is bringing and ask God to show you what are the gifts in them because there is something about being called through the leadership structure that God has already raised up to see what's in people and call it out of them and they have faith that you're able to hear God and, and, and it should confirm. There's other things I could talk about to, that God will confirm it but I don't have time. Shoot that rabbit. Uh, all right. Step number four, the creation of faith through prophecy. Now, in the latter part of verse 8 of chapter uh, 15, in the latter part of, of verse 8, now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, okay, we got communication going on. It's during the night, and the Lord says, get up, go down against the camp. Because I am going to give it into your hands. Now, how many times has God had to repeat that initial thing? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it into your hands. I'm going to do the get in. Uh, it's going to be me. I'm going to use you, but I'm going to back you. It's going, I'm going to do this. In the call is a promise. And he said, I'm going to give it into your hands. Now, do you know God doesn't need any information because he's omniscient, which means he knows everything? He knows our thoughts before we think them. So in that, he says, God says, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. And afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Isn't that a weird word? So Gideon and Pura, they go down close enough to the enemy's camp. How big is that army? 135,000. Watch the likelihood that you get close enough to hear a conversation of two soldiers. And out of 135,000 people, you hear one of them say, I had a dream last night. This bar barley loaf came down and hit our camps. And, it, and, the, and, and the other pagan, <laughs> the other unbelieving pagan, 
said, well, that could be nothing, than, surely nothing than Gideon. And it basically says he's going to give him the victory. What would that do for your faith? What I'm talking about here is, is timing. The devil's not also in the details. The devil's not, you hear that saying, the devil's in the details? God is in the details. And my daughter-in-law the other day was talking to my wife and said, you know, it says the devil's in the details, but D's in the details. My wife's a very detail-oriented person. God is in the details, in the timing. And so he created, and what happens is this prophetic word, this prophetic dream, it's like before I went to Toronto, I'm scared to death. God won't use me when I go to Toronto. And God has a guy call me at 10 o'clock the night before, doesn't know I'm even going to go, and gave me uh, this word. Do not be afraid. I will back you up. I want your eyes to be open to see my resource for you in the heavenlies. Even as Elijah prayed to Gehazi's eyes to be open. And don't become anxious because when you become anxious, you can't hear me. He didn't know I was going to Toronto the next day. It gave me faith. There were other words and times and seasons where they came that I, I needed. Times in the valley. You know, I don't need a prophetic word to go forward when everything's going great. I need the prophetic word to go forward when it seems like it's not going great. I need the prophetic word to go forward when it's really getting tough. But God is faithful. Now, there was this divine appointment. God works in these providence. And the interpretation of the dream caused him to have great faith. So let's go to the next one. Conflict and power. As a result of this, they have this great battle. It's a weird strategy. They're, you know, they're going to... Um, yeah, they're going to break their lights, going to hold up their torches. You know, some of the generals must have thought, okay, way we do this surprise attack. And he says, no, we're not going to surprise them. Matter of fact, we're going to shout and we're going to. Uh, and by the way, one of the first things he did is an act of worship. Right after he heard that, he went back and worshiped. He just went back and worshiped. And his prayer and worship, you'll find that through his. He said, we're going to hold up a, um, a torch, which is going to make them a target, and we're going to shout. But what God did then was cause the army to go into confusion. They began to kill each other. And the army was routed. It was one of the greatest, to this day, the Israeli army, all, this, is, this is the greatest story in their history. And they still are talking about the miracle of this battle to this day. It's still honored that God acted on their behalf. The first act in verse 15 of warfare is worship. And the second act of warfare is declaring your faith of what God has told you. So he got up and he said, The Lord has given the Midianites into your hands. Now he can say it. Now he has so much confidence that he stands before his people and what he has heard, he now tells them. What I have heard from heaven, I now have enough faith to believe it. I'm telling you, he's given us the Midianites have been given into our hands. And there's a great power. And then lastly, it's what I call crisis and passion. And it, I, uh, chapter 8, verse 22 and 23, and then we're going to pray. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us. Now this is after they've won the battle. They pursued, and by the way, they're the ones that start, they got the enemy in route, and what happens? The rest of Israel comes out and joins them and starts fighting. And then they start complaining. Here, here's the crisis. This man, Gideon, who won this battle, 
who's defeated the enemy, his brothers are mad at him. His fellow tribesmen, leaders of other, why didn't you call us sooner? And, and, and they're putting him down. And he's, and he's humble and he just said, you know, we're nothing compared to you, so to speak. The crisis was, how do you respond when after you've obeyed God and done, have done everything he said and God has given you the victory and you're still being cut down, not by the enemy, by, by people in the family of God? That's a crisis moment. And how do you handle it? There's two, th- two points of crisis here. One is the criticism of other believers. Sometimes it's ridden with jealousy. And there will be, because you guys are an amazing church. And I'm sure that not everybody's as happy <laughs> about how he's lifted you up. Even other believers. And there's going to be criticism. You don't listen to that. But the second thing, second part of this crisis is when well-meaning people who it didn't come now from the people outside it came from his own people be careful that you don't create a crisis by trying to trying to form the leader your pastor into what you want him to be even if it's a great thing of honor he needs to be who God's told him to be so here was the battle one was the crisis criticism but the other one was praise the other one was well-meaning intention out of love they wanted to make him king they wanted to make him the ruler in verse 23 in verse 22 The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. That was the crisis. And he won. He, he was not defeated by criticism. And he was not defeated by well-intended praise and trying to ask him to step into something. God didn't tell him to do that. As you are stepping into this real sense of God is making you an apostolic resource center, not just a good local church, but an apostolic resource center, there's going to be a lot of battles you'll have. There's going to be a lot of battlefields. There's going to be a lot of cities to take as Gideon uh, and, 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 and Joshua's going in. But listen to God. Look to your own backyard first and into your family, into your life. Consecration will be important. May the enemy, when he tries to attack, say, he has nothing in me. When you hear those words remember that word is contains the promise I can stand before you having been 54 nations hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different countries different times I mean it was not likely that would ever happen 
but as we have just tried to listen and obey God has done what is exceedingly abundantly above anything I could have asked or imagined I believe that God has a great intention for Southern Illinois I believe actually is my opinion 35 years ago we were standing at Kadesh Barnea as a church of this area and we were invited into a land of promise and, and some could only see giants some could see the Lord will give us the victory a generation has almost gone by and the original intent of God to bring revival to this not just community but region is still there and now may it be like this is the generation that is going to cross over and going to obey is not going to be afraid it is a significant time in your life God has victories he's got prepared for you let us pray Father, in the name of Jesus, we just say, look at our hearts. We want to say yes. We want to say yes. We want to be people of faith. We want to know the difference between a provident and a coincident. We want, to, we want to know and be able to see you when we break bread together. And we pray in the name of Jesus, Father. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.